It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome in to another episode of On The Clock. I am your host, Brett Whitefield, and today we are joined by a mastermind, an OL mastermind, some might say. He sits at the the royal table of offensive line evaluations. Please welcome to the show, Brandon Thorne. Brandon, how are you? Doing good, man. Doing really good. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah, thank you for coming on. So for those that don't know Brandon, he has the Trench Warfare newsletter on Substack. It is excellent content. Highly recommend subscribing to that. You can also find his work on Bleacher Report or Establish the Run. All right, Brandon, I had to have you on the pod because, you know, we've got a lot of guys that want to come on and talk skill players, of course, and and cornerbacks and quarterbacks and all that fun stuff. But not many guys feel equipped to talk O-line play. And I figured you would be the guy to do this. So I've kind of been bugging you about coming on for a couple of weeks now, and we finally got it done. So without further ado, let's get started. I want to pick your brain about your your scouting process or your evaluation process or whatever, whether you're watching NFL tape or college tape, what what are you looking for? What is your process like? Can you can you walk me through some of those steps? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think it kind of trace can be traced back to my time at Scouting Academy, you know, and uh, just what they teach there. And I think the, the grading scale is a good place to start. You know, they, they use a one through seven scale. So, you know, that's kind of my barometer, you know, my scale that I work on one being poor, seven being elite, you know, and then everything in the middle uh, of those two, you know, most of the traits that you're going to see in the players are three, four and five. That's kind of, you know, 80% of the NFL, 80% of what you're looking at typically, you know, below average, average, above average, that kind of range. Um, But in terms of the specific traits that I look for in offensive line, I there's, there's really, you know, four or five critical factors that I think are, are needed at every position on the offensive line, and that's play strength, uh, athletic ability, um, competitive toughness, and then you can look at mental processing slash play speed. So basically how quickly they're, they're diagnosing things and, and working through, uh, you know, threats. And, and there's different ways of looking at that in the run in the pass game. So those are the kind of the critical factors. And then there's position specific ones that I look at for tackle guard center um, that, you know, involve footwork, hand placement, overall use of hands. Um, and then how they are as run blockers, how they are as pass blockers, anchoring ability, how they recover. Um, so th- I think, yeah, those are the main, the main position specific ones and they kind of manifest themselves differently at, at each position. Uh, and then also depending on the scheme and what they're asked to do, what they're not asked to do. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you could kind of boil it down to, you know, tough, smart, strong, and uh, are they athletic enough? You know, I, I think quickness is more important than, you know, all out like raw athletic ability. They have to be quick. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. How do you interpret length? Like when you talk about quickness, some guys will lack some quickness, but they can make up for it with length. How do you how do you factor that into your evaluation? Yeah, it's a really good question. I I think length is uh, you know it, it can be overrated, but it also can be underrated. I mean, it depends on what crowd you're 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 listening to on Twitter, I guess. But 
I think it matters, you know, and it, it matters a little bit more for tackle than guard, um, you know, simply because you're dealing with more space, you know, at tackle and, you know, oftentimes you're dealing with a little bit longer uh, of an opponent, you know, it, it, it depends, but, you know, I, that's typically the case, you know, nose tackles are typically a little bit more stout edge rushers are typically a little bit more long. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I look at that. And, and yeah, I mean, a, a good example in this class is, uh, Dewan Jones, you know, longest arms I think ever measured at the combine, uh, or at least the longest wingspan. Um, so, you know, almost 37 inch arms, you know, 36 plus, you know, and, and that certainly when you watch him on film helps mitigate what I think is definitely below average quickness. I mean, when you're 380 pounds, you know, obviously, quickness isn't going to be, you know, you're probably your strong suit, but it's really tough to work around his length. Um, and he, he does, you know, he, he mitigates that lack of quickness. So that's kind of an extreme example, uh, where you have elite length and below average quickness, but, uh, it, it gets a lot more muddied when you're talking about guys who are maybe a little average at both, then you just have to look at more, you know, footwork, how they're staying in front of guys, um, anticipation, uh, leverage, you know, and there's different kinds of leverage um, that you can break down. Uh, Dante Skarnecchia has a coaching uh, clinic available on YouTube that I highly recommend people check out. He describes his uh, different leverages, and it basically it's like up-down leverage, which is pad level, left-right leverage, with it, which is hand usage, keeping your guy in front of you, um, and then positional leverage, you know, kind of what you do with your body. So there's, and and I think that is a, a great equalizer as well. If a guy isn't like super athletic, if he plays really good leverage, if he's consistently lower than the guy that he's going against, if he's consistently inside with his hands and he knows, you know, the plays intent and he knows how to kind of stay between himself or stay between the defender uh, and the ball and kind of like work his body around, create seals and alleys. There's a lot of guys who are really skilled and nuanced in doing that, who aren't the greatest athletes, who, you know, carve out really impressive careers, two contract careers, you know? So I love identifying those kind of guys on film. That's kind of one of the things I love about offensive line play is finding those guys who are really skilled, understand leverage, understand how to manipulate their positioning uh, to just create, to, to s sustain and control and steer guys just long enough. And they do it consistently. And there's a lot of guys who do that in the NFL who are below average athletes. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it gets deep, um, but, you know, it, it's definitely uh, there's an art and a science to it, you know, and balancing that is what makes it so fun. Yeah, man. So I'm a I'm a Brazilian jiu jitsu guy. Uh, and yeah. one of the, the core tenets of jiu jitsu is is distant management. Right. And so like whether you're you're on your feet and you, you want to maintain that distance properly so you can get yourself into position to strike or it's, hey, we're now we're now in the scrap. I want to control distance. I want to actually bring you tighter to me so I can manipulate your body. I view offensive line play very similarly, whether you're talking about length or leverage, it's like, you know, length can be a great tool for distance management, so to speak, especially when you're going against those crazy athletic edge defenders that also have length yep. and then bringing in leverage to the mix. How do you see, can you, can you give me some names of those NFL players that you think are probably lower on the athletic spectrum, but have, have carved out some, a really good career and maybe some guys from this draft class that translate, you know, in, in a similar capacity. 
Oh man. Yeah. Uh, so the bulk of them are going to be on the interior, you know, that's more where you have your high level wrestlers, you know, the, and wrestling is another similar to jujitsu in some ways that translates well to the NFL field, to football field in general. And those are your centers, you know, typically, and there's a lot of centers. Uh, I mean, David Andrews, you know, undrafted free agent, uh, you know, what is a year 11 or 12 now? Yeah. Um, Ben Jones, uh, you know, mid-round pick i think below average athlete that's another one uh ted karras is a, is a well below average athlete um he's not on that level of those two but he's starting for the Bengals right now and he's been kind of a spot starter you know for a while uh you know i think the ultimate example at center is travis frederick uh former cowboy center who was a perennial pro bowler uh, excuse me perennial all pro you look at his mock draftable web chart and I mean, it's, it's as tight as you can be. <laughs> it's uh, very unimpressive, but he moved very well on the field. He was the strongest center I've ever watched. Um, and he was just awesome to see. So there, there's always guys like that. Bradley Bozeman, another guy, not a good athlete, uh, you know, starting center, Brian Allen, um, undersized high level wrestler, uh, so there, there's always centers there it's, and it gets more rare, you know, the further outside you get where you have to deal with more space and foot quickness and athletic ability become more important. Uh, but there are examples of tackle as well. Mitchell Schwartz is probably the most, you know, famous example of a poor athlete, uh, who was, he was so efficient with his movements and it's very difficult to reach that level of skill, obviously. So it, you know, he's kind of an outlier, but there's other guys. Donald Penn was another older, you know, left tackle who wasn't a very good athlete who played at a very high level for a long time. You know, Ronnie Stanley's not like the best athlete, you know, very long, big guy, um, very efficient. Uh, that's probably an example. And then there's the bigger guys like Orlando Brown, Trent Brown, who, you know, didn't test well at all, who, you know, are just, you know, enormous dudes who it's very difficult to work around them you know, and, and they kind of play to their strengths. So there, there's always a, you know, a few examples of tackle and then more as you get inside. And then in this class, you know, I mentioned one, um, Dewan Jones, you know, we're not going to get testing numbers on him. He ran the 40, I think, but he's not going to do anything else. And, you know, rightfully so, I think that's probably a smart move. He's not, he wouldn't test well, in, you know, in the shuttle, the three cone or things like that. But the dude's six eight three eighty you know, with the longest wingspan of all time, you know, at, at the combine. So, uh, and he's very young and he got it better from his 2021 to 2022 season. So the trajectory is good. He has a long runway, which I think is another aspect in evaluation that is very interesting is age. Um, you know, I, I, I think it just expands the runway, you know, and that's how I like to frame that. He has a long runway to continue to improve, so I think he's actually a pretty quality prospect, you know, in round two, round three, he might go round one. I, that's how I see him. So that's one example that kind of fits into this conversation. On the opposite end of the spectrum, another really interesting one is Peter Skaronsky, uh, who has very short arms, mm -hmm. um, but I think is the best offensive lineman in the class. Uh, whether you see him as a tackle or a guard, I don't think it really matters. I think you're going to get... Uh, immediate impact starter at guard and probably just an immediate starter at tackle. Um, in scouting circles, there's a terminology where you call guys uh, like a blue chip player or a red chip player, blue chip being elite, red chip being solid. 
And I think with Skaronsky, you're getting a blue chip guard or a red chip tackle, you mm-hmm. know, and it just depends on kind of where you want to go with it. I, I personally see him, you know, better, you know, his, his skill set, his potential as an NFL player being the most maximized inside a guard in kind of a mold of a Joe Tooney, um, who Joe Tooney is another guy, just a master at leverage. He's not the strongest guy. He'll get kind of driven back sometimes, but he rarely ever falls off a block. He's under control and balanced consistently, rarely ever on the ground. Uh, and he just is so good with leverage. Um, and that's what Peter Skaronsky reminds me of. Um, just a very polished, well-rounded player, um, really good feet. Uh, the only thing that he doesn't have really is length. And, you know, that's probably going to wind up kicking him inside, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him play tackle either. So yeah, him and Dewan Jones are the two opposite ends of the spectrum in this class. And then there's, there's some other guys in the middle we could talk about as well, if you want. Yeah. Skaronsky is, he, he, he's also my number one offensive lineman in the class. I also use a a numeric scoring system. It's not a, the one to seven scale, but um, he scored very highly for me. He, he does score high higher for me as a tackle than he does a guard, but that's because I give I give positional value bumps in there. So mm-hmm. naturally, being a tackle, he's getting a little bump for that. Do you do you have a hard stance on this? Like, should a team just immediately move him to guard, or do you think there's enough value getting a tackle out of him that maybe we try him there first, knowing we have guard as a, a kind of an ace ace in the hole? Yeah, I, I don't really have a hard line stance on this one with him specifically. Um, I think he's earned the right to get a shot playing tackle. He's played really good competition in the Big Ten at tackle, and he's done well. Uh, there are persistent kind of issues on tape, I think, with dealing with uh, power. You know, I don't think he's the most powerful guy. I think his power is more average. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the differentiating factor with him and Rashawn Slater, in my opinion. I think Rashawn Slater is just a more powerful, stout dude. Um, at a, it's it's a really rare thing that Rashawn Slater has, you know, at his size. He's he's incredibly strong and incredibly powerful, like at an elite NFL level. I don't think Skaronsky's there. I think he's more average um, in those levels. His play strength is more above average, but power wise, just sheer ability to to create sudden force at the point of attack or to absorb force. Uh, you know, immediately at the point of attack, he's not quite as stout as Rashawn Slater, but, you know, I think he could work around that probably at tackle and be fine there and, and be a, you know, a functional solid starter at tackle. I don't think that that's crazy to, to expect. Um, but again, I just think inside, man, you're, you're getting a probably, you know, potential all pro uh, inside. So yeah, it just depends on, maybe your offensive line room, your coaching staff and kind of how you see it. And uh, there, there are situations I think where it would make sense, you know, for him to play tackle, uh, you know, in the NFL. Are there team fits for him that, you know, you think he would translate better as a tackle or a guard? Have you, have you thought about that angle at all or? Um, Not, not too deep. You know, I'd probably need to, I could pull up the, you know, the draft order. Um, But yeah, I, you know, I, off the top of my head, you know, I, I don't really know. I've, I could pull up the draft order real quick, like I said, and just, you know, kind of take a look in that, you know, top 10 to 15 round yeah. range and see, you know, wh- what it looks like. Yeah, I got it right here. Um, you know, at, at tackle, I guess, I mean, 
Chicago would make sense, you know, at pick nine, you know, cause they're, they're a heavy zone, you know, offense, you know, zone based run scheme. Um, they're going to rely on their guys to move laterally, uh, you know, very efficiently. And I think Skaronsky certainly does that. They kind of ran a little bit of everything at Northwestern. So, you know, he kind of has experience doing it all, but I could see Chicago making sense if, you know, they want to put him at left or right. Um, you know, that, that one to me makes some sense, potentially Tennessee as well. That can make some sense. They're just in desperate need. Both those teams really are in desperate need of just a quality starter. So I, I don't really think it matters where you play Skaronsky, honestly. But those two, to me, you know, in that top 15 range are probably the two that jump out most where he could probably play tackle just because they're, you know, starved for it. Yeah, Chicago makes a lot of sense, too, because he's a, he's a local boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grew up in the area. But I, I'm curious to see if if the Lions are going to be interested in him at all at six. I know they've kind of set themselves up to, to be very fluid in this draft, and they they have potentially a need at right guard. I know Hal Vitae is coming back from the back injury. They think he'll be okay, but they really don't know. They got Glasgow on the one-year deal, but I think they prefer Glasgow to be in that uh, – you know, swing interior role mm-hmm. where you can play left, right, or center. And then they have jo- a decision coming up on Jonah Jackson at left guard. So with Decker getting a little bit older and then all the the potential moving chairs there in the interior, it seems like Scranti is a great fit because you got three different potential pathways of the field for him at left guard, right guard, or left tackle or right tackle. What I mean, it's pretty – a lot of opportunity there potentially for him down the road. Now, would he move the needle for them a lot this year as a rookie? Probably not, but good teams don't think that way when they're drafting anyway. So that's, you know, I'm all for the rich getting richer on the offensive line. And uh, that's an ideal example of that. That would just be fun, dude. Yeah. See him at right guard, which is probably where you play in 2023. That would be, yeah, that offensive line would be incredible to see him there. Right on. So how, I don't know how deep into the process you are as far as evaluating the incoming rookies, but do you have a, a top five set for offensive tackle? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm projecting Skaronsky as a guard. So, you know, okay. that's, he's a top overall offensive lineman in the class, but specifically a tackle. I have Paris Johnson, one, Broderick Jones, two, and Darnell Wright, three. Those guys are very tightly kind of clustered. You could kind of, pick or choose there. I think it's all, you know, it's ice cream at that point. It just depends on what, what kind of flavor you want there, but that's my order and we can get into those three. And then I have Anton Harrison and Dewan Jones as my four and five. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my top five right now. Um, I don't foresee that changing. I still have quite a few guys to watch, but yeah, it would be a shocker right now if, if that top five changed. Yeah, I think our top five is very similarly similar. Um, I do like Darnell Wright quite a bit, and I think Broderick Jones is is perhaps being slept on a little bit by the community. Um, I think everyone probably agrees on what he is. I think the NFL might value that more than I would say some of the draft Knicks mm-hmm. out there. Um, I could I could definitely see him going top fifteen easily, like Tennessee at eleven. I think would be a, a good spot for him. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, I. I think that makes sense. I think the NFL liking it more than, you know, the draft community makes sense because it's, it's traits, you know, yep. physical traits uh, with him or he checks all the boxes, height, weight, length, uh, raw, square power. Um, his demeanor is awesome. He's physical, nasty, uh, very athletic. Um, he's probably the most raw, in my opinion, of those three. 
Um, at, but I have him slotted right in the middle of Wright and Johnson because, you know, even though I think he's the most raw, I honestly think he probably, you know, if he goes top 15, this will be a moot point. But I think, you know, ideally he would have returned to Georgia and been the best offensive lineman in the class next year. Um, you know, I think he could have really benefited from another year in the SEC, just kind of refining his technique because uh, it does break down for him at times. And he, he has probably more ugly losses than those other two guys, you know, in, in, in the film that I watched. But again, his highs are very high and the traits are there. He's young. Uh, chances are you're, you're getting at least, you know, a solid starter and you could potentially have a Pro Bowl kind of guy. I compared him to DJ Humphreys, which is kind of, uh, you know, like a, I'm not crazy about DJ Humphreys, but he's a, he's a toolsy guy, moves very well. Um, you know, top 15 left tackle, you know, and, and there's potential that Broderick is better than that. You know, I, I don't think that's crazy. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes. Um, ideally, he would go to a situation where he's not the best offensive lineman in the room, uh, which might be the case in Tennessee. I don't think that's a great position for him to develop in. Um, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense at the same time from the team perspective, you know, just to get a guy with a lot of upside like that. So, yeah, very interesting to see, you know, where he's going to land, I think. Yeah, you brought up Humphreys. I think that's a great, a great uh, nugget there. Humphreys probably defied some odds and has ended up having a, a very long, productive career where he's he's made himself some money for sure. So mm-hmm. I, I like that. Um, as far as Darnell Wright goes, do you see him as a right tackle or a left tackle? Definitely a right tackle. Right tackle. Um, that's another differentiating factor between these guys. Uh, we haven't really seen Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones play anywhere else. I mean, we saw Paris play right guard, yeah. uh, but we haven't seen them play right tackle. So it's a little bit of an unknown with them. But Darnell Wright, we have seen play left tackle and we have seen it not look as good as right. So to me, Darnell is, you know, locked in as a right tackle, which is totally fine. I don't, you know, think that that uh, diminishes his value uh, very much, you know, if at all. Um, But Darnell Wright is the guy I like the most out of these three in terms of just a stylistic Mm. uh, fit, you know, just with kind of what I, you know, like watching. So, uh, and and the reason for that is I think he's the most powerful offensive lineman in the class. Um, You know, his build is pretty incredible, pretty impressive at 6'5", 330 plus, uh, just, you know, barrel chest, big shoulders. Uh, His forearms and hands are powerful. Um, When he when it connects and his leverage is right, I mean, guys are moving. They're getting uprooted. Uh, He's nasty as well to finish. Um, He's a tone setter, you know, kind of guy. But the thing that sold me on him, those are all really nice, really nice boxes to check. But the thing that really sold me on, on Darnell Wright is his core strength and contact balance. So, you know, and I see that manifest itself in his ability to absorb force, you know, with uh, specifically against the bull rush. His anchoring ability is very impressive. We saw that against Will Anderson, um, you know, Alabama, probably a top five pick. You know, people who listen probably know that is. But Will Anderson, you know, the way he won as a pass rusher was speed to power, Mm -hmm. you know, running down the center of guys and uh, creating movement at the point of attack and, Darnell Wright just ate his bull rush left and right, you know, anchoring on command. 
And uh, when guys get inside of him and kind of catch him off guard, he does a really nice job of bracing, you know, sinking his hips, bending and absorbing it, you know, and that really was to me why, why he's one of my guys in this class. So, yeah, I, I really like Darnell Wright. Um, you know, I think he tested a little bit better than he plays in terms of athletic ability, though. I will say that I, I, I see, a you know, a fine athlete, you know, not not a concern, but I think he just tested a little bit better. Uh, his range and pass protection is good, not great. I think in the NFL, on an island, in specific high leverage situations against high level pass rushers who are in a wide nine, you know, way out there where he has to deal with the space and he can't dictate terms and he can't go get a guy and get hands on. Those type of situations may give him a little bit of trouble. Um, I think we saw that here and there on film. Um, but, you know, that most right tackles, most left tackles in those situations are going to, the variance goes up, you know, in those situations, period. But with him, I think, you know, that's kind of going to be his Achilles heel a little bit. Nothing too detrimental, but, you know, most other situations, man, I see a, a really good player. I compared him to Leo Collins. I, you know, and I'm talking 2019 Leo Collins when Leo Collins was kicking people's butt, you know, left and right. And he was probably the best run blocking, run blocking right tackle in football. Um, that's, that's who I see with Darnell Wright. I see a really good run blocker and a solid pass protector. Yeah. I think we see him very similarly. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Alabama game against, um, Will Anderson, because I, I, a lot of people bring that one up when they're talking about, right. Mm -hmm. Do you, the the tempo in which Tennessee plays that, do you think that helped? So I guess this isn't specific to, to the Alabama game, but that up-tempo style. I mean, they had Alabama like scrambling for their lives in that game. Yeah. Do you think that aided right at all in those those high-pressure moments against top pass rushers? That's a really good question and a good point because I recently had this conversation with somebody uh, with with Wright and with Tennessee. I I think it could cut both ways um, in terms of helping or hurting him. I one, another thing that I saw on, with uh, Wright on tape is you know, in the run game, a tendency to kind of dip his head, you know, into contact and fall off blocks and whiff on guys that will happen. And it did happen. And the guy I was talking to, um, he, he mentioned that he thinks the tempo actually worked against him in that specific instance, because, you know, you're just moving so fast, obviously getting winded, uh, the tendency for technique to get a little sloppy in those situations is, is, you know, a, a little bit higher, Um, so maybe in the NFL where he's running, you know, 15, 20 less plays, he can dial in a little bit more. His technique can be a little bit more clean, a little bit more consistent. Um, you know, so that to me made sense. Uh, but at the same time, uh, for the opponent and tiring out the defense and slowing down the pass rush. Yeah. I think that that would make sense as well. So, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it, but I think it could definitely work both ways, uh, for his technique and then for just, um, you know, the, the pass rush, you know, just kind of the juice, you know, that the pass rushers have having to go at, after it, you know, consistently like that. So, yeah. And another point about Darnell that I really liked, uh, his best competition this year were his best games. And that's always a great box to check. Um, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Clemson, those four tapes for Darnell, Wright. He faced NFL guys in, in pretty much all those tapes, yep. um, and those were his best games. So you, you love to see that. Totally agree. He's also a guy who got better from 21 to 22 as well, which yeah. you know, trajectory-wise, that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. All right, I know we got to get you out of here and get get moving on. So before we let you go, though, how about we run through your top five interior guys really quickly? I know we already talked Skaronsky, so we can 
we can move on from him, but who are your next four after him? Yeah. So my, my next guy, I think my top guard in this class, it's, he's in the same bucket as somebody else, but TCU left guard, Steve Avila. Um, you know, I think I see him as like a second round player, you know, not an impact starter, but an immediate starter. I think that's the the correct way to look at him. I compared him to Larry Warford, um, you know, former saints guard lions guard. Um, I just think a solid starter, you know, he, he's big, you know, six, three, three forty. Uh, the thing about him though, is he has lighter feet than you would think. Um, he, he moves pretty well, uh, plays with good control, good posture. You know, he, uh, he, he has some good performances against good competition. His, his, uh, game against Michigan and, uh, Maisie Smith was, uh, an incredible battle, uh, between two just powerful dudes, each kind of won their fair share in that game. That's a great one to watch, but, um, you know, in talking to him too, he's, there's something about him, you know, that I really like in terms of his processing ability, his understanding of what's going on around him. He's just, I, I could just see him carving out a nice, steady kind of starter career. Uh, so he, he's my top guard. And then John Michael Schmitz is my top center, uh, high level wrestler, and it's all over his film. I mean, he, he's a, just a guy who understands leverage at a high level, good run blocker, solid pass protector, you know, tone setting kind of guy, um, a lot of experience. I think he's going to be able to hit the ground running. He kind of reminds me of Ben Jones, uh, you know, former Titans center. So those are my top two guard and centers, uh, assuming, you know, Skaronsky, you know, is out of the conversation. And then after that, Osiris Torrance, kind of, you know, him and Avila are, you know, you kind of pick or choose there, very similar kind of players. I just think Avila has a little bit better body control. Then Torrance. Torrance is more of just kind of a more uh, more aggressive, more um, I don't like using the term mauler a lot, but just more of a mauler kind of guy. Uh, Vila, there's a little bit more control there. And then after that, I'd, I'd probably go Cody Malk or Joe Tipman. I mean, it's yeah, it's pick or choose there as well. I I can make the case for either guy. You know, Cody Malk. I think it's going to be a pretty steep you know, transition into the NFL from the competition he faced in the FCS. That's going to be a question. Plus he's switching positions most likely as well. Uh, so maybe not right away, but year two and three, I think Cody Malk could be a, a solid starter. And then same thing with Joe Tittman, even though he played in the big 10, not, not a whole lot of experience, only a two-year starter, high end athletic ability, a great mover at six six three fifteen, 315 uh, rare. Um, but at the first level, uh, leverage, play strength, inconsistent. He's on the ground too much. Reminds me a lot of J Josh Myers, the center for the Packers coming out of Ohio State. Uh, similar strengths and weaknesses there, but there's there's a lot of upside there for with, with Joe Tipman for sure. Um, so those would be my my guys. I think that I mentioned on the interior. Nice, Cody Malk has like, you know, he's he's a taller guy. He's got relatively i mean they're, they're shorter arms but they're above the 32 inch threshold are you a 32 guy or a 33 guy by the way for tackle tackle i mean i i lean towards 33 man yeah okay. 32 <laughs> there's only like what three starters in the league playing below 33 and you know none of them are really that good except braden smith and um yeah it, it it's just that's steep man it, it it's tough to to get there there's not a lot of precedent for it i don't think it's impossible but i 
I think the 33 cutoff is what I prefer to tackle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he definitely profiles as a guard then by those standards. Yeah. That uh, I, I'm curious. I felt like he had a really good week at senior bowl week. He kind of played like all five positions and I would say he did so, you know, relatively well. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I just love the guy's vibes, man. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't beat it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see him in a Viking uniform just because he looks like a Viking. Oh, dude, that'd be classic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Well, awesome, Brandon. That's going to do it, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Guys, I, uh, listeners, go check him out. He's at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. Trench Warfare Newsletter, Bleacher Report, Establish the Run. He's all over the place. You can find his work literally everywhere. He is a mastermind. Thank you for coming on the show, Brandon. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.